It's Zach Servideo from Boston Speaks Up. I'm here with the sponsor, Reed. Silicon Valley Bank is a proud sponsor of Boston Speaks Up. For more than 35 years, Silicon Valley Bank has helped innovative companies and their investors move bold ideas forward fast. SVB provides targeted financial services and expertise through its offices at 53 State Street in downtown Boston and in Newton and innovation centers around the world. With commercial, international, and private banking services, SVB helps address the unique needs of Boston's innovators. Learn more at svb.com. Zach Servideo here from Boston Speaks Up. I'm here with Rakeem Morris from Surge. How's it going? Uh, very good, thank you. How are you, Zach? I'm doing well, thanks. I'm gonna try something for the first time today. I got some really good feedback from John Chaplin, an avid listener. Shout out to Johnny Chaps. Uh, he suggested that I do a read of the summary, which ends up being sort of the introduction uh, paragraph yeah. in the eventual post on Bostino. Okay. So I'm just gonna read that and kind of introduce Rakim to the audience, and then we'll sort of go into our free-flowing conversation. Great, I love it. So Rakim Morris is the co-founder and CEO of Surge, a service for employers to hire former workers for shifts and projects on demand. Mm -hmm. Morris took an unusual journey into entrepreneurship and has unique gig economy experience, having dropped out of high school at 14 years old to help support his family, working 13 jobs over the next nine years. He then journeyed into academia and tech. He graduated magna cum laude from Cornell University, worked at GE and Google, and then went on to earn his MBA from Harvard Business School. Morris co-founded Surge to help people like his mom, a single parent with a shifting nursing schedule, to more easily secure relevant short-term gigs. Badass. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Thank Appreciate you. It. Thank you for taking the time. That's like a really righteous uh, journey that you're on. And i um, super grateful to have you on Boston Speaks Up. I'm glad to be here. And thank you for for this opportunity. This is awesome. Glad yeah. to be here. Yeah, appreciate it. Yeah. The, um, for, for, for listeners, for those that may be tuning into the video, we, um, we're starting 30 minutes later because I just went and kind of caught you work out of underscore VC. That's correct. And we can get back into that a little later. Um, and we just started jamming for like 25 minutes yeah. uh, before we knew it a half hour had gone by. So um, excited to kind of do it with, with the mic, uh, with the hot mic, kind of sharing with, with folks um, some of the commonalities we found and some of the, um, you know, the, the, and really just helping kind of t take your passion and share it with the community. Definitely. Um, so we're going to go back in time. I kind of want to, there's a really interesting journey that you've taken mm -hmm. an atypical journey to um, to here in downtown Boston at Old City Hall, um, but first, just for listeners, for viewers, could you give a top line overview in your words as to what you're building with Surge and yeah. sort of where you're at today? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I graduated from school 2018 with my MBA from Harvard. Uh, right away, I began building this. Uh, so around August 2018, we got funding and what we do for Surge. Long term, our vision is to have a liquid universal workforce for hourly workers, where any person can work at any place and at any time. And where we are today, we have a little bit over 13 uh, companies that are on our platform. 
we are at some of the largest employers in, 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 in the country, uh, and actually, in fact, the world. Uh, and uh, for hourly workers today, they are experiencing a level of flexibility that allows them to do the things that are most important to their lives while experiencing work in a better way, in a more flexible way. That's what we're working on today, uh, tomorrow, and what we're working on the, the next year um, is focusing on this idea that I'll get into a bit more in the rest of this uh, this video and, and, and podcast is this idea of making sure that when people leave their employers with hourly jobs, that they don't leave all the skills and all the training and all the, the relationships that they built in that past job. Great. Great. So the, um, so that, that's a really interesting concept. You're, you're both looking to help it easy for anyone to sort of like find gigs on demand, but more specifically and interestingly, it's certainly interesting to me, fo like folks that have moved on from a, an employer, mm -hmm. is there data that supports that they oftentimes are inclined to go would go back to that employer that they've been at because of the familiarity with the business and then vice versa, the employer doesn't have to maybe train them as much. Like, is that, was that something you uncovered at, at Harvard? Like, when did you make that discovery? Yeah. So the first inkling that I thought that something could be done with this is my own experience. Mm -hmm. When I worked at Taco Bell, I would go to school and then on my breaks back home to Albany, I would go back and pick up a shift. Same thing happened at Peace Arena Uno's, at Hula Hands, I would go to school and come back and begin working these shifts again. Uh, even when I would uh, be in Albany and um, quit a job, mm -hmm. uh, they would take me back. Uh, and in fact, very, very early on and discovering this and doing my own research, I called all my past employers 10 years ago. And I asked them what I would need to do in order to get hired back at your workplace. Uh, turns out they still had all my information. Uh, many of them, it was a matter of flipping on a switch and I would become an employee again at that at that company. And you'd be active again. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be active again. Interesting. Uh, yeah. And I think these employers know when you leave the workplaces, you don't drop the knowledge that you have at those workplaces. 15 years later, I can still tell you all the weights of the food items at Taco Bell. So the hard taco is 2.9 ounces at Taco Bell. The soft taco is 3.6 ounces at Taco Bell. I can even break it down for you. The, the meat is 1.5 ounces. The lettuce is 0.5 ounces. The cheese is a quarter ounce. And this is more than 15 years uh, that I've had this first job that I had at Taco Bell. And so we retain all of yeah. this knowledge. Yeah. It's in my head, you know, the job, many of them are rote. So anything with repetition, you're going to pick up and be able to transfer those things from short-term memory to long-term memory. Mm -hmm. At the same time, we don't have the opportunity to build on those skills. Mm -hmm. One of the things I just had an interview today, actually, uh, he asked me a very similar yeah. question, what are you building? Yeah. I find it peculiar that you can have a job in uh, being a cash cashier, uh, also a food preparer, and then also as a cleaner, all these different skills that you would need to have knowledge of to open up a restaurant, to open up your own business. And so people are not able to have a pathway, today they don't have a pathway to to create greater wealth for themselves because again, they're, they're when they're leaving their employer, they're they're not taking those skills from employer to employer. And they're sort of starting over, starting over yeah. as opposed to building. Yeah. So that's really interesting how you drew, drew on your experience of, I mean, you had a 
schedule you had to maneuver yeah. as a teenager at, at first mm-hmm. and you had you had random pockets you could work so you had many different places you worked mm-hmm. um i'd like to kind of go back and and at sort of the, the the start of that so describe to me and in, in in sort of um the boston speaks up audience what what was sort of happening in your world when you were 14 years old when you made the determination that you had to start working yeah yeah so growing up by the way it was fairly at least for me, it was normal. Uh, it was yeah. normal as I knew it. Yeah. Uh, I am sure if I were to go back and think about the things I've done, things would be atypical just given where I grew up. I grew up in Arbor Hill in Albany. Um, so what's Arbor Hill like? Uh, Arbor Hill, it is a predominantly black neighborhood in okay. Albany. Um, the schools, they could use more funding than they currently have today. Okay. Uh, in fact, my elementary school. I'm not sure if it was by design that it is like this, but when I was there, there was no walls. And so no walls in my high school. Yeah. Just, uh, yeah, weird. Interesting. That's a weird yeah. yeah. It's some silly concept hmm. from some designers from like the sixties. I see. I've researched this. And so it's no idea. Yeah. Very, it, very disturbing. It's for super disturbing yeah. <laughs> for being able yeah. to yeah. study in a standardized <laughs> test. You're yeah. hearing all these crickets behind you because yeah. all the, the room yeah. is just one gigantic to groove. Yeah. Uh, in case my life was normal as I knew it. Uh, I'm sure, again, some things were atypical <laughs> if I were to look back. Yeah. And then how I got into the situation in which I was not going to school anymore. So I'm from a single parent family in yeah. Albany. My mother is a certified nursing assistant. She's a CNA. Mm-hmm. And every week she gets a schedule. And the way that schedules are done for people that work hourly jobs it's the employer who tells the employee when they need to work. And right. often it doesn't take into account that person's personal life circumstances, their family, any of these other things that we as people, you as a professional, me as a professional, this, this flexibility that we take for granted. It's never yeah. an issue for me to go to the dentist sure. at 3 p.m. on yeah. Monday. I can do that right now. But that is not an option for many people that work not yeah. many people that work these hourly shifts. So in any right. case, my mother had to work the 6 a.m. shift in the morning all of a sudden. So when that so happened. So 6 a.m. shift. Yeah. She got shifted to. Yeah. And what had she been working? She had been working. Like evenings? Uh, like it was, work? all they know, it was enough for her to bring my little brother to school in the morning. And now she couldn't. And she couldn't do that anymore. And so I had a new job. I, my younger brother is 10 years younger than I am. Okay. So, so I was four. He was four years yeah. old. And, uh, well, I know you have yeah. uh, a young, uh, that, uh, my daughter, uh, yeah, she's two and a half, a two yeah. and a half. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm not sure if two and a half is when they begin to sort of fight back. Was it that the, uh, oh, yeah. uh, there's a, they start to push their threes. boundaries. Oh yeah. Terrible twos. There, there we go. The tang- yeah. The, yeah. They, I think it just only continues after that. Exactly. So imagine <laughs> that you're 14 and you don't have the emotional maturity sure. to, to handle that. Yeah. And every day, every morning, every weekday morning, I had to manage that. Yeah. So he's four years old. So initially it wasn't school that I had to bring him to. He was so young. He had to go to daycare. Yep. So I had to wake him up. Do all the things that a parent typically yeah. does in make the his, morning. Get, have a, feed him breakfast. Yep. Make his lunch. Yep. You have to bring lunch to daycare. Yeah. Oh, I'm well aware of this routine. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so, okay. yeah. so, so you were a parent. Yeah. yeah. So parent <laughs> yeah. was 14 years yeah. old, at least for the first three you or four hours. You were parenting with your mother. Yeah. Absolutely that. Yeah. And so this made me late to school in yeah. the morning. So I would miss 
my first period of school. And then this dominoed to missing entire days of school. Mm -hmm. And that's how I ended up in this circumstance. And I began working hourly jobs right away. I was so young that I couldn't get your standard W-2 job. And so yeah. I would work jobs under the table. Yeah. Uh, and so my first couple of jobs, two, I'd say my first three jobs were under the table. I turned 15 and that's when I got my first job. So what were your, um, I've done some under the table jobs too. Yeah. Um, what were the under the table jobs you, you did? Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I love that question. <laughs> yeah. Actually, it reminds me. Uh, so my first job, I was walking home from one of my last days of school yeah. and I noticed that an entrepreneur was opening up a restaurant uh -huh. in my neighborhood. Yeah. So I walked up, I knocked on the door oh, and I told him I needed a job. I'm willing yeah. to work. Mm -hmm. And I think he was bewildered like what the hell is this kid doing this kid, this kid like, cool yeah and then uh, he took me right in and he was yeah. paying me i think five dollars an hour all yeah. in cash yeah and so i helped him um, clean up i helped him um, choose the wallpaper in that store uh in the restaurant rather i was this little helper <laughs> for a while and then um my second job was working in a mall kiosk okay i was always tall <laughs> as yeah. a kid and so uh and I was, they hired yeah, you at 14. at 14. how'd you get that one uh i think i was six feet tall i had a mustache and so <laughs> he said that this guy he yeah. must be a yeah. mage and then and, he uh, paid you cash and he paid me cash under the nice. table at crossgates mall uh, and then at Crossgates Mall, then okay. I wanted to, that's where, that's where you met a lot of, yeah, you met a lot of people. So is yeah. that where, and then you started working at Taco Bell? That's correct. At Crossgates? Yeah. And that's, so you're like 15, 16 at this point. Yeah. Um, and then while you were sort of getting started, um, sort of, this is the first time probably you had like, um, an actual employee, you know, some sort of employment contract or whatever. Um, yeah. Did you uh, uh, like start working other jobs at the same time, or is that what you did? Like, how, like describe that. Like, what was the what were the next few years like, as opposed to just doing your right what what otherwise would have been going to school every day. Yeah. Like, what was 15, 16, 17, 18, What did that look like? It was uh, <laughs> fascinating. Couple of years. So I I've always had two or three jobs at a mm -hmm. time. Uh, I began working at several of the employers in the mall. Pizza and Uno's, Hula Hands is okay. also in the mall. So you were you like the mayor of Crossgates at that? More or less. <laughs> it's interesting because yeah. I, I used to know, um, you know everyone. I, I know everyone. I, I I knew all the stores there. I even knew all of the back passages in in the mall. Okay. And so this average person would take them 30 minutes to walk through the mall and I can do all the, the back channels to get to the same side. Of you can create minutes. like the ways for cross gates. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly. I like that. That's really cool. Yeah, I could have. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's nice to be great. a fellow techie and make and make tech jokes. Yeah, definitely. definitely. I got a lot of those. Yeah, yeah. Being yeah. This keep, yeah, keep them coming. Yeah, absolutely. And so I had that and I also, and this speaks to the whole school to prison pipeline, uh, because I was missing school. Yeah. They put me on this program called PENS. I forget okay. exactly what the acronym uh, oh, stands yeah. for. Oh, yeah, because I was yeah. going to ask, like how, yeah. like, how are you not getting in trouble with the state, especially when you're 14, 15, because you weren't going to school? Yeah. So is that what this program is? Yeah, that's exactly what this okay. program is. It's a truancy program. It's an intervention program. Okay. And so the state, I forget exactly how it all went down. I think I got a letter, or I'm sure school officials <laughs> put yeah. me on this. Yeah. Uh, and so it was illegal for me not to go to school. And since it was illegal for me not to go to school, 
they did a couple of things. The thing that I remember most now and the most traumatic was going to a probation office. So right on South Pearl Street, right. every, I forget how often it was, I think once a week, I had to go down to this probation officer, uh, probation office, yeah. see the probation officer and have a hour conversation. I forget completely what we chatted about. <laughs> and how, yeah. how old are you now? Uh, how am I now? How old are you uh, now? 33. So, okay, so we're like the same age, I yeah. by a year. Yeah. Uh, so it's been almost 20 years. And I guess my memories are a bit foggy of 14, but it's interesting that, like, from what you remember from those probation officer appointments, and I think you alluded to this when we were doing, like, the pre-podcast question, yeah. question and answer. So your probation officer was also just dealing with like straight up criminals. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. So you go in the waiting room okay. and yeah, uh, and they would all be there. And so you're, it's almost this, like this really weird yeah. perverse, like training for, for what your life for is some, to be. Some track of life that you're destined for. Absolutely. You, know, you, you have a probation officer. Like this is how life is. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. people that look like me, yeah. uh, black males, those that drop out of high school, about 70% of them do end up in prison. 70% end up in prison. Yep. 70% plus. And were you like most of the people you're seeing at this probation officer, were they mostly people of color? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, they were. So you're like, oh, everyone here looks like me. Like this is kind of, okay, this this could be, this could just be the track I'm on. This is the, this is the hand I was dealt. Henry were dealt. Yeah. And also, I mean. You think about the the vacuum of not having role models in these types of neighborhoods. Yeah, I asked you that too pre podcast. Like, oh, who were your mentors growing up? And you're like, it's it's tough. Like, it, 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 it they don't they don't exist. Yeah, they don't. They don't exist. So you did a lot of like sounds like vis- almost vision questing. At what point? What were you doing at? 15, 16, 17. Yeah, so yeah. Just, you started to visualize just, something different. Yeah. So. I, I have no idea yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly how yeah. this all unfolded. Uh, I, I all I knew is that I had a really good group of friends. So yeah. the CrossGate cross yeah, crew, yeah, the CrossGate yeah, crew. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all like yeah. the uh, yeah. Hopefully they'll like this term. Yeah. All the misfits. I, I was a misfit yeah. at that at that point in life. Uh, all the misfits. We yeah. create our own sort of this familiar uh, this family group. Sure. Uh, and um, well, they all kept saying to me, you're smart kid, why, why aren't you yeah. uh, in school? Uh, and I had one friend in particular who was going to this uh, night school program uh, at uh, Albany High School. Uh, and actually it's at a place called Upbrooken and it's across the street. It's an alternative program. Okay. In this program, they allow you to take the final exam for these courses. And if you pass the, the, the test, they'll give you credit for that course. Right. And the way that my friend made it seem as if it was a piece of cake. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, I mean, it was yeah. it was a piece of cake, the actual content itself, but yeah. the, the tests themselves were the state test. Right. So, so it's the same it. test, but it, yeah. it's it, it, the piece of cake part is like, if you can pass the test, it's an expedited way to complete parts of high school. Yep. Okay. Exactly that. Yeah. And so the course, when I turn 18, and by the way, 16, 17, 18, yeah. working two or three jobs at a time, yeah. usually in fast food, but I was also a dialysis technician. Okay. I worked for a temp agency. Um, it was called Labor Ready. It's called People Ready Now. I moved appliances across a warehouse. So I'm doing any and every job that I can find, often working 70, 80 hours a week. Then I turn 18. Yeah. And I wanted to get my education and yeah. uh the, the actual the, the work throughout the quarter was 
fairly easy. Um, but I was able to take all these state exams in a single year uh, while working all these jobs. Mm -hmm. And I was able to graduate um, uh, uh, my high school uh, in a matter of a year that should have taken taken three to four years. Amazing, yeah. amazing. Yeah. So impressive, especially what you do now at this point, which is, and kind of you, you can fill in, but the, the, the quicker bridge version I got from sort of our pre Q and A, you then decide, well, US News and World Report says Cornell is the best school in the country. I want to go there. Mm -hmm. And even, and, and it was easier said than done. And you had an interesting path to sort of get in there, but describe like what your mindset was like then, what, like what you determined you wanted to do and like how you then went and achieved it. Yeah. 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 So the first thing I did, yeah, I was looking at colleges, you know, finishing out my high school career. And so I, yeah, opened up the book, US News and World Report. I realized that Cornell, you also get a reduced tuition if you're a New York State student. Right. Uh, and so, the price and then value, it just yeah. it gets worked out oh, really yeah. well. Uh, another interesting thing about that too is that- It's amazing the, uh, how those yeah. student loans will still get you though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As big as, yeah. A, yeah, as a poor kid who had a great scholarship grant to Boston University, those mm. loans just, they don't, they, Never they, end. they seem to be a lot bigger than I thought. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. It's like, damn, half my paycheck is going to yeah. student loan. Yeah. Actually, even after I got, so I, I had this job, I paid 11 bucks an hour at Kinko's. Yeah. Then my first job at GE, I could pay $55,000 a year. Yeah. Even with that job, I still worked a second job at a law firm doing oh, all yeah. their accounting because I had to pay back my student loans. And even when I went to go get my MBA, I yeah. still had student loans that I needed to pay back. Just to relate to you for a second, yeah. my, my, I, when I graduated from BU, like mm. I had no, I got a job that I started a week after graduation because I had to pay my loans. Mm -hmm. The job paid thirty grand a year. Oh wow! I bought a car. I need to buy a car. I bought a. I was like investing in myself. I'm like I'm buying a sixteen thousand dollar Volkswagen Passat, which in the long term it ended up being a solid, not investment, a car isn't really an investment, but I bought a car worth more than half of what I was being paid the first year. And then I got a, and then I got a job at Joshua Tree working <laughs> at the bar. Yeah. And I remember one. There was one particular manager I had early on that was like. I don't know if you're taking this job seriously. I was like, why? And like, well, cause you have this, you know, you're, I heard you're working at the bar a couple nights a week. I'm like, yeah, cause I'm poor. Absolutely. I'll have to pay student it. loans. Like I gotta do it. Yeah. So like for, you know, a couple of years, I was like, yeah, that's just kind of, kind of so what you have to do. But geez, when you start, it wasn't it nuts though. I mean, they still had, still had to work that second job, but even making, you know, you're making 55 grand a year. That was probably a mind blow. That's like, that's a mind blowing amount of money. Yeah. Like, holy, like, I don't, I don't, you don't know a lot of people in your life. Like maybe you didn't know a lot of people in your life that had a $55,000 sal salary. Growing not. Up. I mean, I know what your dad did yeah. before. My dad was a UPS driver. Absolutely. And like, so when you got your job or at least yeah. the job you have uh, now, yeah. well, when it's I graduated, a bit of a college, it's a really a mindfuck for <laughs> yeah. sure. Um, Cause at that point, you know, in school, you had to get your parents W2s, get financial aid. Yeah. And so it was very, apparent to me when I graduated that I had already doubled what my mom made on an annual yeah. basis yeah. Uh, and I was 23 years old. Yeah. Uh, it's, um, it just speaks to a lot uh, of things. Uh, yeah. 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 I think it does. And, and if you lean into it, like you get the type, you know, you have a lot of mindfulness about it and, and therefore put yourself in a position to kind of hopefully help create positive change yeah. so that it's maybe easier for, um, folks who um, have like your mother who are uh, are older yeah while also people who are younger that maybe could easily be on a track that isn't towards college and professions to equally whether they're 
50 years old or 14 years old, they can be exposed to pathways to opportunity, which is what I love about what you're doing. So thank you. Yeah, man, I really, I really, really do. So talk to me. So I want, and we're we're getting there too. I kind of want to unpack more like what you're doing at Surge and more about where you're going and, and sort of just channels and ways to sort of help help it grow and breathe all sorts of life into it. And however I can, I would love to, uh, but talk to me about the experience at Cornell. Yeah. I, 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 my first semester at BU, I thought I might have to leave because my scholarship grant was like, you need a 3.0 first semester. I had like a 2.9. I was like struggling to write and I was going to school for communications. Mm -hmm. I was like, Oh, they figured me out. Like I'm not supposed to be here. And I had all those self doubts and yeah. I w- lived in office hours and I figured it out and ended up graduating with honors and thank God. But it was like, I, I don't know. How, so describe to me what it was like when you first started but, and also the path you took through community college. Yeah. But what was it, what was it like? And then how did that kind of set you up for the, the GE and Google jobs? Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. So yeah, starting at the community college. So I initially had applied to Cornell. They looked at my transcript and said that this guy is probably not ready for yeah. college. And so what they did is gave me a guaranteed transfer. Um, I forget the exact GPA. It's either 3.5 or 3.8. I needed to get that at another university or college. And I needed to take a prescribed set of courses. And all these courses were all remedial courses because I had not had the traditional pre-Cornell education uh, right. experience, as you can imagine. Right, right. And so I went to community college for at least a year. Um, uh, and then one additional semester I spent at the Dominican Republic. Okay. Uh, I taught English and math, um, which if you have never taught in a foreign language before, uh, well, it's a very easy, students are not shy about making fun of your accent yeah. when you, yeah. uh, your grammar is great. But in any case, um, I did all that, got yeah. a three, nine something mm-hmm. uh, over the course of a year and a half. And my first semester at Cornell, I think it was 2007, I think, yeah. uh, uh, spring 2007. Um, in any case, I knew the, the caliber of students that they typically have, and it scared the hell out of me. Yeah. Uh, and I remember my first, uh, my first semester, the final, the finals period. Yeah. I was so worked up and so anxious of, I'm not good enough. I kid you not, and this is not an exaggeration, but I stayed up for three days straight just studying. No caffeine, no drugs, no stimulants, no anything. I I stayed awake. I just read and read and read. I walked into- You just stayed awake awake on angst? Uh, And I gave you enough fuel (laughs) to get to the things. I still can't believe it. I remember- That's a a feat for any human. Yeah, I got to research that. I was able to pull that off. Yeah, it's like Guinness Book of World Records stuff right there. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I had some cat. I must have something. Uh, I remember walking into my final exam for my intermediate micro class, and I'm hallucinating at that point, (laughs) and somehow, I was able to pull off a really, well, I got yeah. upper 90s somehow on that, yeah. that test. But in any case, yeah. um, I had this idea of what it's like to be at Ivy League school coming from my background and not measuring up. And then it turns out that I did measure up yeah. <laughs> uh, because that school and this program, they believed in me enough to admit me to that school. Mm-hmm. And I made myself, my family, Hopefully the program that I went through, the guaranteed transfer program, 
proud. And yeah. I was able to graduate with, uh, as you yeah. mentioned, that began of the podcast, man, yeah. from, from Cornell. Yeah. And you, I mean, you put in all the work. I mean, that's sure. Like those programs gave the, you know, the pathway, but that's the thing, like the grit and the, and the, and the hard work, the three days away to get through finals. Like that's, that's all, that's all you. So, yeah. so what, so did you immediately thereafter, like get, that's when you got the job at GE? Yeah, GE. Okay. So I had a job at Kinko's in downtown mm -hmm. uh, Ithaca. Yeah. Uh, so you know, I was in school, I was working yep. two to three jobs. Oh yeah. So fortunately I did have a job through a, um, what do they call it? The paid study program. Oh yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Through so school. yeah, yeah. yeah like so my brother did the stuff through school. Yeah. I was a bar back Poorhouse and mm -hmm. whiskeys. Shout out to Poorhouse and whiskeys <laughs> on Boylston Street. They're still there. Yeah. I was the fun. best bar back there ever was. Mm -hmm. well, I used to work you know, Thursday and Saturday nights all through college. Yeah. Every single semester, except the one I went abroad. And, and it was nice cause it was cash. Yeah. So you get paid the $2 an hour, which yeah. I saw you've had these jobs, right? Yep. And it was like, you'd claim at the end, Oh, I made 80 bucks. <laughs> right. And you, and I'd make like, I'd go in, whiskey's was great. Whiskey's yeah. I'd go in at nine o'clock at night mm -hmm. on like a Saturday night and yeah. I'd work, you close at two, you clean up till three, six hours, 300 bucks cash. It's, it was it's like beautiful, man. It's you work so a, beautiful. You work a couple of shifts like that yeah. every week for a month. Mm -hmm. I was like the richest kid in school. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I, need, I needed all that money because that's how I went abroad. But that's um, exactly. It. I'm yeah. sure you went home. <laughs> <laughs> for me, at least, we go home. You like you smell, but like you were able to have. Yeah. <laughs> in the bar, in yeah. the bar industry, they call it the slop bucket. <laughs> you know where all the just yeah. random crap gets thrown in the bucket. Yeah. And my roommates used to be like, "Dude, you smell. You smell like the slop bucket." <laughs> And still to this day, like I actually was catching up with Galen Moore, who's a, who's a, who's, I've had him on the podcast, former editor in chief of uh, Boston O and an American in O. And we went to a bar and we walked by the kitchen. I was like, ah, oh. he's like, what? I'm like, reminds me of my bar back in days. Smells like, smells like a slop bucket spilled right there. <laughs> like I'll still have like flashbacks. Exactly. Walking yeah, you bar. get that Boston. smell actually. No, you <laughs> it takes you back, right? It gives you a different experience when you're in a, when you're in a, when you're in a bar in Boston. Yep. Um, so you were working in while you were at GE. Yeah. And what was your role at GE? I was, I did their financial manager program. It's a great program by the way, in the way that you have these courses on top of your actual work. Uh, and so, and by the way, if you don't graduate this course, by the way, this, this course, by the way, is also, I keep saying, by the way, the course is, uh, I think it's, I think they say it's equivalent to about a four or five credit course that you would take at a university. Okay. And that's on top of your demanding job that you have. Wow. Uh, and so the program is structured in a way that you go from, uh, you go, uh, from, from position to position. Their goal is to make you a, uh, uh, finance professional. Sure. Uh, so I worked in FP&A, I worked in Treasury, I worked in a small warehouse in Southside Chicago. Uh, Treasury was the Global Treasury of Energy and Atlanta. So they they took me around to, to multiple cities mm -hmm. um, and uh, it was a good good experience uh, in the way that, well, it still helps me today to say yeah. have financial management. Along those lines, um, and I'd say there's a lot of, uh, some panels that I'm in, yeah. not, not enough information and not enough, not information is given to managers and not enough information is given to first generation professionals. Yeah. People whose parents don't have a professional job. Um, we're very underprepared to go to these jobs and a lot 
You don't you know what the standards are. Absolutely not. I didn't yeah. learn that you were supposed to put a napkin on your lap until I was in my 20s. Yeah. I didn't know that. Like that be there. I, I just <laughs> thought that there. it was there. Like, I was like, oh, this is a fancy napkin. Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to leave it there until, you know, I need it. Yeah. I didn't know what going on your lap. <laughs> yeah, me either. No one told me. Yeah, like, all, this, all this etiquette stuff is I don't know like, a restaurant where people the, put napkins on their laps. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah I happened to take a course after uh, <laughs> I got these jobs. I'm like, yeah. oh, I've been doing it wrong this entire time. Yeah. I look like a fool. Yeah. <laughs> no, like, I, I didn't meet my wife. I met my wife actually at a Boston event. I was mm -hmm. like 26. Mm -hmm. My wife has taught me most of the. I spent a few years professionally, still not knowing most of the etiquette. Yeah, and she's taught me most. Of it. <laughs> yeah, actually, it's funny. I, I get a lot of that. Her, her, her mother was a teacher in Lawrence, and she like was very, you know, teachers are good on rules. And so she, she's like, I'm just gonna teach you all the things. I'm mm -hmm. like, okay, great, sounds good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. oh, yeah. so yeah, <laughs> and it's um, yeah, and. Some people may not get that experience either, and they may just continue to do the things yeah. they've been doing their entire lives, not yeah. necessarily knowing about these things. Yeah. Uh, one of the, I'm not going to get the research right, yeah. but people that have uh, professional parents, uh, even the way that a professional interacts with their child uh -huh. trains them for their first job. Interesting. Just yeah. the, the words that they're using, starting with conclusions rather than telling this long, elaborate story. Right. All of these things, it, it also, I'm interested, I keep yeah. getting, uh, yeah. the because they're giving a lot of good thoughts as I'm going this along. Good. yeah. Uh, you think about, well, I'm thinking about like, oh, how am I talking to my daughter? Like, yeah. oh, I, maybe I'm helping prepare her already. Yeah. Asking her questions, yeah. having your daughter ask you questions. Yeah. Uh, and, and these communities are such a deference to authority. Yeah. Uh, and when you go to your first job, they want to hear from you. They want you to stand up and lead things and, and, and speak out against authority, but your entire life, you are not trained to be that. And if you have an hourly job, my job at Taco Bell, the reason why I know all those weights is because there's a SOP. There's a, there's a, a standard way to do things yeah. and you are not always, and I've actually had a lot of freedom in terms of thought in my first job, yeah. but uh, not always encouraged to, to think uh, when you're doing your jobs. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. So let's talk about your Google, the next job at Google. Yeah. And you took an, you had a really interesting takeaway from that job, which I'll let you kind of share your Google experience and also like um, what you took away from Google. Cause I think part of what you took away from Google actually lives today and what you're doing at Surge. Yeah. Uh, but would you want to share that with yeah. everyone? And it's just the, the wage uh, that I discussed before or do you have something about? So like yeah. the way you said like once a Googler, always a Googler. Uh, yeah. And I thought that was yeah. really interesting how you made that analogous to Surge where it's like once a Googler, always a Googler. Like, mm -hmm. you know, well, what you're doing is you're trying to say like once a Taco Bell employee, like it should be easy for you to always just flip a switch and get back and get a job there. Yeah. Or like, you know, like you've, you've taken that and you level it down to like different skilled jobs and said like, Oh, well, that, like, why not? Like, I love the, the, the dreaming, the dreamer mindset that yeah. you had, but then execution against that is Absolutely. really, is really cool. Yeah. 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 So my, um, so I was in IT finance yeah. at, at Google. Uh, so building tools for, for finance, uh, and then eventually actually HR, okay. uh, in any case, my last day at Google. Yeah. I remember being in a conference room mm -hmm. and she hands me this sheet of paper and it said, once a Googler, always a Googler. And I had no idea that companies had alumni programs. Mm -hmm. And these programs, companies that have them, they're able to 5X the number of rehires other total 
hires. And I'll put that a different way. Someone did some, some analysis from yeah. LinkedIn. They looked at all the job changes over the last year or so. Okay. They found that a company that doesn't have these alumni programs, yeah. of their total hires, 3% of them come from rehires. Mm-hmm. Companies that have alumni programs, yeah. like the Googler, always Google yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, for the rest of your life, those companies have uh, 15% of their total hires come from rehires. That's significant. And those people that return back to your company, no training, very little training. Yeah. Um, little ramp up. Little ramp up, no yeah. onboarding, and you yeah. save on that turnover cost. That you oh, cost yeah. And that's five to $10,000 uh, for employers. Yeah. And you think about, and the reason why these jobs, uh, these alumni programs, they exist is because companies, they figured out that we have relatively high turnover. Uh, the company that created these alumni programs, uh, McKinsey, mm-hmm. the management consulting firm, mm-hmm. they have an up and out promotion culture. So if you don't get promoted, you leave. And so every year, they have thousands of employees who leave on good terms and they're extremely competent people. Yeah. So the turnover is high, but they want to keep in contact with these people. So they created these alumni programs for because good terms, high turnover. And the yeah. industries that have the highest turnover, things like janitorial that has 198% national turnover rate, temp agencies that have a 400% turnover rate. Mm-hmm. They don't have alumni programs. They have some informal way to get people back on board, like me calling my past employers to, to, to get back on the payroll, but there's no formalized program to really take advantage of their former employees. And for us, we see it as the fastest growing and largest asset that businesses, especially in, in particular hourly employers, the largest and fastest growing asset that they're just not taking advantage of today. Interesting. Is it fair to say, and sort of like refine this position that you're an alumni program platform? Yeah. So we create, cause there is yeah. no, and that's the big white space you've identified is absolutely that that's kind exactly of that. offering that layer horizontally across industries. Certainly the big ones that are wildly underserved and have those high turnover rates that would benefit from an alumni program, but maybe, don't have the resources or the or the capabilities or the frameworks to implement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's yeah. it's it's that uh, we're creating these these company uh, specific uh, 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 private networks. Sure. So McDonald's. Yeah. Um, if you know anyone at McDonald's, yeah. give me a, <laughs> uh, give me a lead. I would love that. Nice. Uh, so McDonald's, what if they're using search? they would have a private network of all their former employees. Mm-hmm. So what we do with employees when they're exiting companies, we it's your typical exit yeah. uh, uh, interview process. There are two questions that we ask that we use in order to determine how that employee can get a second job in the future uh, for supplemental income mm-hmm. and how that employer could possibly plug that employee back into their existing workforce. Mm-hmm. And so those two questions are, what are all the positions that you've worked? in all the locations that you've worked with your employer. Okay. And we verify that with the manager. Yeah. And with that information, we create these certificates for employees. And with these certificates, it is crystal clear mm-hmm. where they fit mm-hmm. when they go back to their former employers, mm-hmm. employers and how they can be productive on day one of that return. Interesting. Yeah. So it's like a ledger, yeah. um, just a matter of fact ledger of accounting. Yeah. That's for where, where they worked. What departments, what you know, what geography or geographies. Yeah. Um, and some things yeah. that we're doing on top of that. Yeah. We want it to be a true alumni network. Mm-hmm. So there are modules in there to make sure you're keeping in contact with your former employees. Yeah. Um, 
uh, not only rehiring, but referrals as well. Good people. No other you good don't people. have to come back, but you can refer people. You know our culture. Yeah. So interesting. So in that way, you're the, so there's like a, so let's, so with an, so from an employee standpoint, yeah. search can kind of start in other places, but employees leaving an organization that uses search, yeah. search is integrated at the uh, exit interview. Yeah. There's some couple important questions and sort of that accounting of what exactly they did to in the future, in the future, should they come back? It's very clear on how they fit in. Correct. Yeah. And then there's a bit of a nurture, like I'm, I'm a marketer, right? So yeah. marketing on, you know, there's a, there's almost like a, a sort of ex employee sort of nurture module where you can communicate whether it's right, you know, three months or it could be a year later, you know, McDonald's could say in, in a certain region, we have an employee referral program, Rakeem, just a heads up. If you send anyone our way, you'll get X amount of dollars. Yeah. Right. And it's like, yeah. Hey, I don't know. Yeah. Like I just can participate in this. Right. And so they're sort of like tapping almost like you, you as an affiliate marketer in that, in that regard. Is yeah. that, is that a fair way to put that, it? That's, that's yeah. accurate. That's so, correct. Yeah. So it's also a way for hourly workers to get that additional hundred yeah. or $200 for referring a friend that successfully hired. And we're also working with employers to extend their employee discount yeah. to their hourly workers. Okay. One of the, you can imagine that you've worked at a grocery store and now all of a sudden as a former worker, you're able to continue to get that discount. Oh, so employer. the employee discount extends after you leave. Yeah. yeah. So it's almost like in like the loyalty from the brand to the employee, exactly even, that. even ex employee yeah. sticks. Yeah. It's exactly that. Even, you know, five, even if it's, even if it's only 5%, yeah. you know, off, off, off groceries. And like, where are they going to go for groceries? They're going to yeah. go to your They're store and now you have additional revenue yeah. at, at that brand. Interesting. Yeah. Are you, so who are some of the partners you mentioned there's 13 companies you're working with right now. Can yeah. you kind of share some specifics with some of the companies you're working with right now? Yeah. So they're yeah. largely uh, uh, contract services companies. Mm -hmm. uh, those are, um, let's say facility services. Um, okay. They do either cleaning out the building or the security in the building okay. uh, company that we're working at, um, uh, with in that space is allied universal. Uh, yeah, they're the largest security provider in the Americas. Yeah, uh, we're also working with uh, smaller franchise chains. One of our other customers is Cadet Enterprises. Okay, they own about fifty Dunkin' Donuts. Okay, in the Northeast uh, region. Uh, so it's a combination it's called of, Cadet. Yeah, Cadet yeah. Uh, Enterprises. Yeah. yeah. So we have them. Uh, so it's largely contract services. Uh, some uh, fast food or quick retail mm -hmm. uh, type stores mm -hmm. and actual retail stores okay. uh, are on our platform. Okay. Uh, and then not to mention uh, a couple of uh, temp agencies that are also on the platform. Great. Yeah. So as far as areas for growth, mm -hmm. um, more quick serve, more retail, restaurant, food and bev, like what are your, what, what are your areas of focus and in, in, in not necessarily in a rank order, but if you have a rank order mm -hmm. over the next year, year plus. Yeah. So we're looking at primarily large retailers, mm -hmm. uh, places like Walmart, places like Home Depot. Uh, those are places that we want to get in. Mm -hmm. They have large employee populations. Yep. And if we're thinking about how do we maximize the happiness, how do we maximize the good that we're able to provide people, mm -hmm. those are going to be the types of employers that we want to target. Okay. Yeah. And they're also the, there's about 17 million hourly workers in this space. Uh, it's, um, it's a space that we want to just make sure we have a presence. Yeah. yeah. Well, so let's talk a bit about like why you're doing this and what sort of impact you want to have like 
and you know future state maybe even beyond five saying 10 years from now like what do you want the surge sort of legacy and impact to be yeah the so the way I see this progressing, um, uh, and so I get to that five years, mm -hmm. the five years, by the way, is for people to experience work in a different way, and in particular, have people's work revolve around their own life mm -hmm. rather than needing to Being have- dictated to them. Absolutely. Yeah. So today, it's the employee's life that needs to keep it and flexed. Yeah. And that doesn't help employers or employees. Yeah, it's hard uh, for them to retain people yep. with that sort of older, sort of rigid structure. Yep, yeah, absolutely. And so we want to make sure that we get that flexibility mm -hmm. and really be this infrastructure for the future that economists predict. They predict a, a, an economy uh, in which people are working two or three jobs yeah. at a time. Yeah. And so starting from today, so you were mentioning yeah. $2.30. I, I think it was two sixty-three. Yeah. I, I think we're both remembering numbers pretty well today, but uh, I'm, I'm yeah. pretty sure it was two sixty-three. <laughs> it's like $2 yeah. or something. The yeah. first time I saw that, it was like $2 yeah, an hour. Was like, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, going from job to job. So Taco Bell, I remember getting paid $7 an hour. Okay. Got this job at Pizzerina Uno's. Yeah, it's like $2.30 an hour plus yeah. tips. Yeah. By the way, people don't believe that when you tell them that. But in any no, case, it's true. It's, it's insane. And attest to these <laughs> rates. So, yeah, and it's, yeah it's, it's surprising. Yeah. <laughs> so over the course of nine years, my last job at, at Kinko's, hourly job in retail, getting paid $11 an hour. Yeah. So from job to job, job to job, getting very small increments in increases in my, in my salary. Yeah, no upward mobility. No upward yeah. mobility whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and in fact, my job in 2000 and well, whenever I quit, yeah. um, over the course of that nine years, didn't increase over the rate of inflation in that same time. Yeah. And my job from GE to, to Google jumped 30, 40% in every yeah. job, professional job at least that I've had since then. Yeah. That's my rate of increase right. uh, uh, from job to job. And so what we want to make sure is that people, when they leave their employer, they're not losing everything that they had acquired that employer and that things are accumulated and that assets are accumulated over time. So what we want to do very plainly is save the American dream. Mm -hmm. And the American dream is defined by autonomy and ownership. It is ownership of the assets that that we have, that we've acquired. Mm -hmm. And in this case, let's say you're a cashier at Dunkin' Donuts, making sure that it is a credential that you can take from job to job. And with that credential, with that asset, the mm -hmm. freedom to use that anywhere you would like, that freedom to use that asset to create additional income over time. Yeah, let me try to play, play out with this with you. So like it's mm -hmm. sort of creating a third party set of standards and certificate. Like I like the certifications. Like if you've worked the cashier register, like, you know, I worked the service desk, customer service desk at Bob's stores. I remember I was, cause I started at 675 an hour and I found out you could get a raise if you worked customer service. Huh. And I remember I got a raise at $8 and 30 cents. I am rich. <laughs> um, but the idea of, sort of acquiring the skills of working at, you know, dealing with um, sometimes disgruntled customers that need to exchange things at the customer service desk. And a lot of what I was, it, well, Bob's had a very, you know, some unique um, manners in which they handled that stuff. 
a certification on that, a certification on that, an ability to sort of pivot off that in another retail, some type of retail role or, or whatnot. You know, maybe there's like, um, you know, an assistant manager job at some smaller retail chain that, oh, point is, yeah, I, get it. I really, really like the idea of sort of almost from a third party pushing these standards and certifications into the employee employer employee sort of dynamic in the ecosystem yeah because it does create this sense of um upward mobility like horizontally across different roles mm-hmm. um so i'm kind of just playing it out to you kind of what i'm hearing yeah and why and why i like that because otherwise you know you're just all right well you go then you go to old navy and it's like well sorry you start at 675 and it's like Oh really? I was just raking it in at eight thirty an hour Absolutely. on the customer service desk. But it's like, yeah. well, I don't know. Like, we don't know how good you are on the customer service desk. So you're going to be in the men's department. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna be folding jeans again. <laughs> Damn it! Yeah. Which, which I hated folding jeans. And it's again. like, oh, I gotta start over. But if I could be like, actually, like, I was a, I was a gold star customer service rep mm-hmm. as per surge. Yeah. Uh, so I can kind of see that future state where there's like almost a stamp too. And then this is another sort of idea actually I'm thinking of out loud. Yeah. It'd be interesting for, um, that could be how I decide as that young person or whatever age person Mm -hmm. where I want to work. Yeah. Are you surge certified? Because if I'm going to invest my precious time on this planet working at your company, Mm -hmm. when I leave, I want to make sure that I have, that you're certifying what I did Mm -hmm. so that I can be, I can, at least remain at the level I've earned to. I'm not Absolutely. going back in life. I'm only going forward. Yeah, and that's uh, why yeah. we are able to sit in a building with lights and, and walls is because learning and knowledge has been accumulated over yeah. hundreds of years. And you think about people that cascading forward. Absolutely. Yeah. You take yeah. what you've built so far and you build on top of that. Yeah. And this is the what's not happening in hourly jobs today. You go from job to job and you, yeah, you start from zero as you were mentioning. And then a 10 year vision. So you are able to get all of these, uh, your skills very neatly laid out and you know exactly what you're capable of doing. We, we're sitting in a venture capitalist office right now. Uh, And wouldn't it be cool if we had a SWAT team go in and, and, and help people with a certain set of skills, bring them together to create a restaurant or whatever they would want to build it, the type of business they want to, to build. Mm. If these people have the skills and they mm. need the, the investment to help them get to that next level, why aren't we doing that today? Again, I mentioned in the beginning, if you've been a cashier, if you've been a cleaner, you've been a dishwasher, you have, you've collected all the skills necessary to successfully run a restaurant. And what's missing? What's missing is the 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 money, the the, the, the money, the physical space, like the investment. So it's yeah. a an incubation talent pool. Yeah, absolutely. and in it, in so you could look into surge ten years from now, and you have this large swath of people and potentially. Um, investors that kind of can come and swoop into this surge group and say, all right, I need a really good bar man. Like I need a bar manager. Mm -hmm. I need a bar back. I need a, someone at the front of the house. Yeah. 
and a dishwasher and a and three servers. These people are all get like certified like like high grade at those jobs. Yeah. With a high degree of likelihood that my uh, my restaurant, which restaurants like, I I was at a restaurant the other day for a client dinner, and they were saying they trained for three months, hmm. and there's so much. I mean, that's it was a higher end restaurant, but restaurants spend so much time training, and so the idea of like, not like not only like cutting down on training, but also increasing likelihood of smooth, quick, expedited success. Yeah. Um, yeah. For a new venture. Yeah. Um, I like the idea of this like incubation talent pool that can actually create new um businesses yeah exactly that yeah. imagine you're walking down the store in this planet fitness it's all surge alumni yeah surge alumni decided yeah. to get together yeah and they decided to have their own store oh it's an interesting for like companies that are interested in franchising too yeah, yeah. planet fit you want to create new franchises like cert like you can kind of use surge to tap in your alumni and say hey you are a high grade certified, like certified, um, you know, front of house Planet Fitness employee. You are a high grade trainer. Mm-hmm. Um, we're reaching out to you to see if you'd be interested in participating as in a, you know, a consort of people to open a new franchise. Yeah, which you'll be a partner in. Yeah, and like have this opportunity. Yeah, uh, and progress. Uh, that's really fascinating. Yeah, and so that's a ten year. That's yeah, a ten. Can't wait to get there. Cool. Yeah. So. so um, how, like, is that something that you talk about with underscore VC? Like, is that part of the vision that you've um, both had, but also you're iterating on with them as partners? Like, talk a bit about your relationship with underscore VC, which is the host of this this podcast here today. Yeah. 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 Underscore has been essential uh, to get this business forward. You have investors that give you money and, and, and that's it. Um, they give you money and they may disappear and they expect you to do everything and create something out of nothing and money um, yeah. uh, resources are, are good, but, um, it's, it's not money that makes a business. It's a team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so underscore has helped me recruit people on my team. Most important thing in the startup, yeah. uh, in terms of the space, we have nine desks here at underscore. You just don't want to be office is one of the last things you want to be worrying about in the early days of your company. Right. And what I love most about uh, Underscore is this idea of their core community. So there's the adage, it takes a village to raise a child mm-hmm. and it takes on that same, in that same notion, um, along the same lines, rather it takes a network to build a business build it, yeah. and they have done a great job and managing this community here, I sit here in the back of underscore and every other week, I would say there is, there are 20 to 30 people up here after hours, they're talking, they're, they're chatting, they're having beer, they're getting to know one another mm-hmm. and building their own network here. Yeah. Underscore, they understand what it takes to, to, to take a, a business from an idea from very early stage to, to building a big, big uh, company. That's awesome. Yeah. That makes me um, really excited and, and happy for you. Having um, gotten a, a good glimpse into underscore, I, I, I imagined it was something along those lines, but it's wonderful to hear you share that. Yeah. Um, so what, what's, um, 
before we kind of uh, conclude and say goodbye to the community, uh, mm-hmm. what's what's on tap for this weekend? So we'll, yeah. this will come out in a couple of weeks, but it's Valentine's Day weekend. You're getting ready to jump on a plane. Where are you? You're heading to Chicago? Yep, heading to yeah. Chicago. Yeah. Uh, we're going to see a friend who uh, recently yeah. graduated, I suppose it was a year ago from yeah. Northwestern. Nice. Uh, we're going to have a uh, nice, lovely uh Dinner. Uh, I'm doing a challenge this month, by the way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I didn't expect to say yeah. this, but yeah. doing a challenge being vegan for a month. Okay. Um, trying that oh, out. Cool. It's been uh, it's been good so far. Um, we have a new uh, employee here, and I told him this, uh, so he won't yeah. be surprised to hear this. Yeah. But if you're going to do anything, yeah. you have to be 100 in. Yeah. Uh, and so, um, well, we'll see how this weekend is well, going to to shape up. Nice. How's um, where is home for you in Boston? Uh, I live in Brighton. Okay, cool. Yeah. Boston's not a bad city to go vegan in. No. There's worse there's a lot worse cities to go vegan. I have some friends that that are that are vegan here that were vegan in LA and it's I mean LA is a particularly good place to be vegan also. Yeah. Um so what did you start February one? Yep, February one. What's uh, uh, what's been the most challenging thing so far? Like what do you yearn for the most that you can't have right now? <laughs> You know what? I've, I've just shut it all out. Okay. And I'm a person. Oh, I don't want, then I don't want to tell <laughs> you to not, break anything. Yeah. It's like the yeah. option at this point. Yeah. It's just been fun because um, I've been weightlifting also the past couple yeah. years, or not years, but this past year. Yeah. And every single meal has meat in it. Yeah. Uh, and I do plan on returning back, but it's yeah. been a good uh, been a good experience for the last couple yeah, of years. Yeah. I've heard, yeah. It's always good to have a good, uh, these challenges for like, I just drink, you know, alcohol in, in moderation, but I, I have, you know, and not that my friends who do dry January don't, but I've, you know, like when folks do like a dry January, it's like some will say like, oh, well, it's just like, I just want to, it's like kind of nice to like not, you know, to not do something mm-hmm. like that for a while. And I'm like, oh yeah, I can, I can kind of get that. Yeah. Um, dry January, yeah, yeah, which yeah, actually yeah. I did as well. Yeah. Well, there you yeah. go. Um, so up. what's going to be your March challenge? Do you have a suggestion? I don't know. It was there. So dry January, vegan February. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, it could be some sort of like it could be like a thirty day like workout every day thing. Um, I like that. I like that. Like or just like in, in the only type of workout I would do every day would be like kind of like a, like yoga. Um, trying to do more yoga and meditation these days. That's it. Maybe, maybe yeah. it's that. Maybe I, it's that. Uh, yeah. Maybe it's March yoga. Yeah. yeah. Maybe we can do it together, maybe like can. separately, and then we'll like meditate, and then, but it won't be a dry March, and then we'll get together for beers, and we'll like hopefully our minds will be expanded, and we can talk about all the beautiful things that uh, Surge and Fabric can do together. Yeah. Um, that would be awesome. This has been awesome, Ricky. Yeah, I really enjoyed this. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers, Boston. Yeah, cheers. Thank you.